Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast, presented by SeatGeek. You'll hear from players, coaches, broadcasters, and writers that cover the NFL on a daily basis. The New Orleans Saints podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Aaron Summers. Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Aaron Summers. We are back for round two, looking over the Saints season, going to bring in a couple of local writers, reporters, podcasters, et cetera, get their perspective on this year. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Pro Bowl. I don't know if you guys saw the release that came out today from the NFL about what the events they're going to have at the Pro Bowl, but it is going to be very different. They talked about the fact that it was going to be a couple skills challenges and whatnot, and it's it's going to be something to watch. There's going to be a gridiron gauntlet, relay race, kick, tic-tac-toe. Each team's kicker, punter, and long snapper will compete in a giant tic-tac-toe competition showcase. The kickers might really enjoy that. I think it might be fun to see who has the most accuracy. There's going to be a move the chains contest. So each team's going to put together five players and they'll be responsible for pulling a wall loaded down with heavy weights, 10 yards as quickly as possible using, of course, first down chains. There's the longest drive. They're actually going to let the players play some golf. And then the epic Pro Bowl dodgeball, a multi-round tournament of classic dodgeball featuring four teams of five players that begins with the offense's and defenses from both conferences squaring off. I don't know who would have the upper hand in that, offense or defense. I feel like maybe offenses might be a little more accurate because they'll have the quarterbacks, the skill players on that side that might be able to more accurately throw. That could be fun to watch. And there's going to be a flag football game as well. Lots of different events surrounding the Pro Bowl starting February 2nd. It's a Thursday It will be in Las Vegas. Linebacker Demario Davis will be there representing the New Orleans Saints. All right, now let's bring in my guest for today, beat writer for Nolan News, Taryn Walk. She's been previously with NASCAR and covered Alabama for Tuscaloosa News. This has been her first season here covering the Saints. She's done a great job. If you haven't, make sure you follow her at Taryn Walk. It's T-E-R-R-I-N-W-A-A-C-K. And Ross Jackson, at Ross Jackson NOLA. He works for the Locked On Network. He hosts Locked On Saints, and he contributes to the Saints Wire, CCS Daily. So all over the place, he has had great coverage for years covering the Saints. Thank you to Taryn and Ross for joining me on the New Orleans Saints podcast. Have to talk to some of the people that have been here every game, every practice, covering the Saints all season long from the beginning of training camp till now it has been a long stretch how are we doing now that you kind of get to breathe and you know you have a weekend ahead of you this weekend I don't think it's hit yet at least not <laughs> <Yeah>. for me <laughs> I no, think I, I need two back-to-back way. Sundays off before I'm like all right we're good yeah I'm ready for another football season I feel like but you know we've got Absolutely we've got not. yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it's gonna be that dramatic it, <laughs> it's a marathon for sure and I think that going into this season, expectations were so high that there were definitely a lot of moments that were frustrating for the team. Ross, when you look back over the season, what is kind of your overall take on the 2022 season for the Saints? Yeah, I think that it is a 
season that is kind of painted by, you know, two different halves effectively, right? Early on in the season, this was a team that was struggling to kind of find its identity. It felt like identity was a big word that was used in covering this team very early. Then right around week eight, of course, that that Raiders shutout, then they started to figure out the the defense started to get right. Dennis Allen spoke to us about that a couple of times where there were just things happening where people were in new roles, people had new responsibilities. They never got their starting secondary out on the field, which didn't play a single snap to Together in terms of what the expected secondary was going into this season. But then they rip off this stretch of eight straight games on the defensive side, not allowing more than 20 points, but aren't able to get things figured out over on the offensive side. So I think identity struggles, things like that were kind of the mark of the early portion of the season. And then there were things at the uh, the second half of the season, particularly over on the offensive side, that were more kind of centered around execution, uh, situational gameplay, being able to finish drives and even being able to finish games in, in some situations. So it, it was kind of two different halves of the season, I think, when you really look at this. Yeah. And I think you could feel that too, when you were around the team, mm -hmm. just, it seemed like they were so close. They knew they were, they said it many times, we're shooting ourselves in the foot, you know, the mistakes, the penalties, the turnovers, the little things that the execution was lacking through the first half of the season, probably Taryn, I know it was your first year here covering the saints. So what stood out to you? That flew by. I mean, <laughs> I swear it should still be week one or two. I don't understand how 17 games went by that quickly but I mean I'll own up to it I had them having a winning record in my preseason predictions I did not think this was going to be a 7 and 10 team and it just felt like there the defense did become consistent more so toward the end but the offense I don't think it ever found its stride um you would come out of a game be like all right they figured it out like Maybe it's not exactly as explosive as they wanted or as big numbers as they wanted, but they were plugging and chugging and finding their own rhythm with what they had. But then the next week, it's gone. It was so up and down that the offense never got into a consistent rhythm, and I think that's what hurt them most. It was just always field goals. Like Most of their points, I bet, were field goals over – touchdowns and you can't win games if you're only kicking your points and not actually crossing into the end zone. When you look at the offense, Ross, what do you think worked versus what do you think they need to work on? Oh yeah. Well, uh, uh, starting with what worked, I mean, they had, they have two outstanding rookies that exceeded expectation that at wide receiver, I mean, Chris Olave was expected to come in and kind of play quote unquote third fiddle, right? To be, be the other guy along with Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry. Both of those guys get in, you know, get hurt early on in the season. Uh, Michael Thomas doesn't play another game for the rest of the year after week three. Uh, Jarvis Landry pushes to play in London and then misses time, comes back, but then ends up being out for the rest of the season. And so it just created you know, opportunities, you never want to see anybody get hurt, but then it creates opportunities for some of the young guys to, to step up and those guys have to be able to produce. And that's exactly what Chris Olave did. And then Rashid Shahid comes in, plays, you know, 12 games, 488 yards, touches the ball for the first time and scores on a 44 yard jet sweep. The next time it's a 50 plus yard, you know, touchdown reception. So I think those two guys right there, Chris Olave, Rashid Shahid, all of a sudden, come in as these two rookies that you're kind of waiting to see develop and look, everybody's been vocal about, you know, including them about still having things to refine their game, take their next steps, all that. Uh, but 
that all of a sudden looks like your future at the wide receiver core, depending upon what happens, you know, with Michael Thomas over the course of this offseason after that that contract rework that they did uh, just before the Week 18 game. Uh, what needs to be worked on over on the offensive side? I, I think some of these things in terms of third down efficiency, red zone efficiency, were a little bit lower than what the New Orleans Saints standard usually is. I think they were right around the middle of the NFL when it came to third down uh, percentage, when it came to red zone percentage in terms of converting those possessions to touchdowns. They were in the the low 20s, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And so those are things that aren't necessarily uh, the New Orleans Saints brand of football. They usually uh, perform extremely well in situational uh, aspects of the game. So that was something that I think they came up a little bit short on, including finishing drives towards the end of games, closing opponents out with the exception of maybe Philadelphia and a couple of others, that those would be the other things that I think if they can work on and improve those, or if they had improved those in 2022, we'd be talking about a very different record and a very different team. Yeah. So this year they scored 330 points total. And just to kind of put that into perspective, I, in the 2011 season, they scored 547. The offense was not what we are used to seeing from the Saints in terms of production. The yards were there at times. I think if you want to evaluate the quarterback situation and quarterback Andy Dalton and what he was able to do, he was efficient. He was able to move the ball. They just stalled so many times, you know, within the 30 and the 20. Taryn, when you look at Dalton, how would you evaluate his season? He did more than what he was expected to entering the season. People just kept hating on him because he's Andy Dalton, I guess. I don't know why, but (laughs) he came in as the backup. And so he filled that role and then some, like, I don't see an issue with what he did with what he was presented. I mean, there were all the injuries. It wasn't the offense that they expected all season long. And Andy figured out what he could do with the weapons he had. They switched back and forth between him and Taysom Hill, and it worked. Like, the two-quarterback system worked at times until other teams figured it out. And it was like, why isn't Taysom getting the ball every single down? Weird, right? But I don't know. It's just so many unexpected players stepped up, like Dalton being one. Ross already mentioned Olave and Shahid. Then there's Jawan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Hill, Hill even did it in a completely unexpected way. So it's just what was expected didn't happen. And it fell flat of expectations because of that. But I don't know. He, he did what he could. Yeah. I mean, how much of the season do you think was, I don't want to say derailed, but changed from what was expected because of injuries? Oh, a lot of it. Yeah, I think a good bit, good portion. You never had your starting secondary out there. You had two wide receivers you were without. Um, The Philadelphia game, you were down three offensive linemen. Now they won that game. But I think there was a lot of, uh, Taryn, I think you would agree, a lot of it that was kind of uh, disrupted by injury, probably. For sure. And I think that's a hard mental switch to make too i mean they came in with all these high expectations themselves with the michael thomas a healthy Jameis winston jarvis landry um that alone and like the offensive line was healthy at the start you got a first round pick in trevor penning who's then injured for the majority of the early part of the season and now exits injured again but that's a difficult mindset to switch i think like going from we have all these options too. We have limited options. 
and other players were being asked to adjust their roles a little bit or being forced into a a starting role where you're, you look at it. I mean, the NFL, like if, if you're supposed to be a starter, then you're starting somewhere and the, right. the backup, it is what it is, is not generally going to be that star elite level every down, every, every play. Mm-hmm. Well, we think, I think we saw several players step up Alante Taylor, one of them who was thrown into a starting role much earlier than they anticipated with him. And he showed flashes of what you may see him be in the future. I think defensively, there was a lot of disruptions as well because of the health and not having mom Marshawn Lattimore for a lot of the season hurt that yeah. secondary as well. It was a lot all at once. Brand new head coach. I mean, yes, he was the defensive coordinator for so long, but like new head coach and then boom, all these injuries. Like that is a lot to navigate in one season. Mm -hmm. Ross, you have had some time covering this team. You've known Dennis Allen as the defensive coordinator. As a head coach, how did you see his personality come out throughout the season? Were we finally able to see a little bit of what DA is going to be as a head coach? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Dennis Allen is is who he tells you he is. And I think that's one of the things that he said to us before, too, is he's kind of like, you know, look, I'm I'm a calm, cool, collected guy. I, I asked him one time about, you know, showing emotion and, you know, people kind of wondering or or, or wondering out loud, uh, you know, within the fan base about whether or not he was, you know, someone that was, um, you know, going to be able to like get in the face of a player and things like that and kind of get them riled up and kind of have that that grit and that intensity. And he just kind of, you know, shrugged it off and kind of looked at it as, you know, I'm not here to get mad at anybody. I'm not here to yell at anybody. I'm here to teach people. And so I'd rather take the, take the path of teaching, which is something I I admire when it comes to a head coach. And I, I think the players admired that out of him too, that he wasn't that way. And that he, you know, he's, his calm, cool, kind of even keel mentality is the reason why the team pulled off the, you know, largest comeback in terms of points and in, in, in its, in its history to open up the season with that 16 point deficit. And I also think too, just with his past experience, a thing that probably uh, entrenched him even deeper with this team uh, from a roster standpoint is his sort of uniquely positioned uh, familiarity with the DeMar Hamlin situation, you know, having been someone on a team that had, you know, lost a player pre-game in, in the training facility or, or I'm sorry, excuse me, outside before uh, practice and knowing how that inf- impacts a roster, I think that he was uniquely positioned to positively bring those players a point of view and a perspective where he could really level with the impact of what they were all feeling. So I think from a couple of different levels, Dennis Allen may not have been able to help the team put together the the record that they had wanted to beforehand, but he was, he was a good leader for this team. And I think that's one of the reasons why, despite there being some questions out there, I expect that he'll be right back in that same position, right back in that same seat in 2023. I agree. Yeah. I feel like always hard to follow a great Right. I mean, I think he had to kind of figure out how he was going to make it his own and what he was going to change from what he did as a, as a DC to now the head coach and having different people in different roles. I mean, you mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, Ross, about people getting more comfortable in the roles that they were in as the season went on. And I, I think it's naive uh, of even me to expect like, all right, we're, on paper, everything looks great. Like we're going to go to the Super Bowl, but you know, it's, it's not that easy. Whoa there. <laughs> Whoa yeah. There. It takes, it takes time. I mean, pretty much. I mean, when you think about the biggest places or the biggest kind of 
jobs or roles within this team, head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, quarterback, every single one of those had something new about them. Even though Pete Carmichael was retained as offensive coordinator, this was his first time really as a full-time play caller with the exception of, you know, the specific instances in which he was, you know, put in that role during, you know, the, the 2012 season, the 2011 season, when Sean Payton was dealing with his, his injury and wasn't able to be on the sideline, all those things. And so I, I think every single one of those spots was in flux or in, in, in regards to the, the quarterback position in a new role in, ter- in regards to head coach as well as a uh, defensive coordinator, which was a co-defensive coordinator structure. So there's a communication there with effectively three people being involved in the, the defensive mechanism and the execution as a whole. And then, of course, the, the play calling aspect with Pete Carmichael. Uh, that's all new. All those things kind of had to be had to be massaged. And I think the defensive side by the end of the season ended in a better place than the offensive side. So we'll see how that impacts this offseason. But everyone was had something to learn or, or, or some hump to get over throughout this year. Yeah. And Taryn, I think I remember you asking that question about the co-defensive coordinator roles and, and that communication and, and how that was handled, how the players received it. What was kind of the response that you got about that? That wasn't me, but I was there for the question. Um, I don't think that it impacted it as much as they thought it was going to and whatnot. Like, I think it just gave more opportunity for discussion and ideas. And those two, I feel like they go about their roles in very different ways. Cause we would talk to Ryan Nielsen or Chris Richard, like flop back and forth each week. Their personalities are very different as well. Very (laughs) different personalities. But I don't think that's a bad thing because then you're able to like bond in different ways. And since they're looking at it from up front to the back end, you have a bigger all encompass view of the defense, I think. Yeah. I mean, the players seemed like they liked working within that system. They still like being around and able to work with DA and Chris Richard and Ryan Nielsen have shown that they've been very good at those roles for many years at different levels. So I think that that ended up becoming a successful situation for everybody. And I think they kind of have, okay, this is what we're going to do going forward. Everyone's comfortable with this is what it's going to look like. Um, Off season wise, what are some of the biggest questions that you have Ross, uh, as far as things that need to be, I don't know, um, addressed. Yeah. I'll try not to take all of them here, but I think the the biggest one, you know, really centers around the offense and and trying to figure out how to, for lack of better words, fix fix the offense, right? Get the You're offense. Picking to the look entire like, unit. No, oh no, no, God. not the whole You're thing. There's still so much. There's me. still so much. There's still so much. But that's but not I, great I, to say that there's still so much. But continue. No, I don't mean it like that. <laughs> but I just mean that you know, there's 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 all of these little nuances to it, and so I think that when you when you look at where the offense was in 2022 and versus the expectation of what it was expected to be, those those two things didn't match. I think it's fair to say that those were you know, it was disappointing in terms of what the result was. So how do you go about fixing that over the course of the offseason? And I think the two things that people will, you know, most quickly point to are, is there a change coming on the on the coaching staff and how they handle that, uh, which, you know, that remains to be seen. They're going to spend their time doing all the due diligence. I like Mickey Loomis's approach, uh, general manager Mickey Loomis's approach of not rushing into that conversation, giving it time, removing emotion from it, and then being able to come at it with a calm, cool, and collected demeanor. That's kind of been the, the name of the game for the New Orleans Saints. And so 
it's either that or it's adjusting the scheme in some way that kind of changes or or takes them into a, a new look offense one way or another. So how do they best implement that? So that that's kind of the 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 big question that I think. Yeah, Taryn, I'm sorry, it does cover a lot in terms of uh, you know where they can go in 2022. But those specific things about where they make those changes in terms of impacting their scheme and what that offense just looks like um, then leads to you know the success down the road if they can find out something that they can execute on a more consistent basis. Okay, so it's positions not between special teams. No, but defense. you could. That's all that's left. <laughs> you could say positions, specific positions. Yeah, there's people. Yeah, <laughs> Ross, Ross just blanketed an entire unit. <laughs> Like, all right, fine. Well, I don't easier said than done, but I feel like just leave the defense as is. They figured it out. The offense is the biggest concern. Like the main did they allow too many yards on the ground? Yes. And that's not normal for them. But at the same time, they still kept them out of the end zone for the most part toward the end. They figured that out. Can't win if you they don't score. But that says that should also be the message to the offense. So let's option C. Let's go with special teams. Had Will Lutz made two of those final kicks against the Panthers, they would have finished with four wins in a row for the first time since 2011. I don't know. He's been like their reliable guy, but you missed some important ones. This one, buddy, like maybe bring in some competition to challenge mm-hmm. him a bit, but I'm not saying switch him out or get rid of him, but a little extra incentive there more pressure or something. Yeah, I mean, he was coming off of a pretty significant injury. And so maybe you wonder how much that affected his consistency this year. Because there there were moments where, yes, he hit 50-plus yarders and then moments where he didn't hit 35. So it's kind of tough. You want to have somebody that you can rely on. Maybe he will be more of that next year when he has a full offseason behind him where he's able to – really hone in on some different things uh, technique wise i had to work with what ross left me i think like one of the other big questions that you're looking at is you know what is the future of michael thomas and this new Orleans saints team you know uh they they reworked that contract uh i think for a lot of people that kind of telegraphed as a as an agreement of, of of some sort but again the saints taking their time working through all of that and so you know but does that signal that there is something on the way in terms of a potential split between the club and player we, we don't know yet but that's a that's a big question of course that the that will be very interesting and big lingering question that you're watching going into going into the offseason um i, I mean do you feel ready to thrust your know, Chris Olave into wide receiver one conversation? He had an excellent rookie year. Do you brace for, you know, a step back in, in year two or, or are you yeah. okay putting him in that position to where it he's the number sound, one guy? It, yeah. It didn't sound like Dennis Allen was quite ready in mm-hmm. his, his comments on Monday. You know, he said, yes, he has been great, but there are still things that he needs to work on and kind of kept coming back to that. So maybe not quite the wide receiver one at this point, but if he can put on a little bit of weight, which would be amazing for somebody to tell me to put on some weight um, to improve my job. <laughs> if only. Oh, yeah. Like that's what Juwan Johnson had to do, you know, Taysom Hill. Right. Like uh, I was talking to Carl Granderson in the locker room on Monday and he said he's, he's very particular about his meal prep to make sure that he's mm-hmm. eating enough. And I'm like, I wish that was a problem. Yeah, like I rediscovered you know. cosmic brownies this week. I should be doing the opposite. 
looking back on the season, you two, what was maybe your favorite moment or a favorite story that you got to tell? I get to go first this time. I was yeah. say, you should go first this time, Taryn. <laughs> um, okay, I wasn't even prepared. Well, I'm going to go with Jawan Johnson. I think he, first of all, you could see him get bigger from training camp to regular season, literally in front of your eyes. That man stepped up in his new role. I mean, I know this is his second season at tight end technically, but dude, pop off. You should have been in tight end your entire life. Um, I think that is just another one of those ones where we were saying somebody newish in a situation had to adapt and figure it out. And he became one of the most consistent players. And he ended up talking to the media a lot. So shout out to him. He was always willing. Uh, yes. That was a tough one at times because it wasn't the season any of them expected. Being in the locker room was like, well, who's here? Roll call. I'd say seeing Joan Johnson's really grow into his role as a tight end was a highlight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, I'll mention because I feel like Cam Cam might be mad at me for not picking this, but obviously, I mean, he breaks the franchise sack record. That's a huge thing. But one of the biggest, so sorry, Cam, but one of the the other big ones for me was watching the the, the growth in the linebacker room. Um, oh, you know, yes, bef- dang it. yeah. You know, before and and Taryn, you did a phenomenal write up and 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 everything on Caden Ellis and and his growth and all the things that have worked there. And so I think that there's some you know remarkable stuff that happened within that linebacker room. Um, you know, linebacker coach Michael Hodges, he's one of the younger assistant coaches or position coaches in the NFL, and he's working with you know a, a multi year vet and one of the best to play the position in the game right now in Demario Davis. And they found a way to, you know, not let egos get in the way. And that's not surprising if you know these guys, right? But from from the outside and even from, you know, outside of football, that kind of dynamic can be a tough dynamic sometimes when you're asked to effectively supervise somebody that is, you know, elder to to you or has done something longer than you or whatever it might be. And I think they did a, a phenomenal job with that. The communication going back and forth between all of the linebackers. Caden Ellis, after P- uh, Pete Werner went down with, with injury, requested from Michael Hodges an additional 30 minutes every day to get work in. And then Chase Hansen picked up on that. Nephi Sewell picked up on that. You know, uh, Andrew Dowell picked up on that. I'm sure DeMarco Jackson behind the scenes had, you know, uh, mm-hmm. some, some things that he was working on there as well. And so, you know, that entire linebacker room from, you know, starters through depth, just put in a, a lot of work and the ascension of guys like Pete Werner and Caden Ellis were newsworthy all season. Uh, Demario Davis getting his first pro bowl bid obviously is a huge one for him as well. And, and, and much deserved. So that linebacker room in particular was a, a fascinating one to follow over the course of the season. Absolutely. That was like a team within the team. I mean, yeah, they, for real. Yeah. See them like really bonding and like hype each other up. They decorated for Christmas, which I love. Right. <laughs> they did like a whole swap and were joking back and forth. Like you could tell that unit was very tight knit. You mentioned Demario Davis going to the Pro Bowl, his first Pro Bowl. Uh, it just came out today what the actual events and things they're going to be doing at the Pro Bowl are. And we were talking mm-hmm. dodgeball, like grown. Yeah professional athletes here that are used to hitting each other (laughs) now throwing balls at each other. I mean, it's going to be intense to say the least there's a kick Mm tic-tac-toe. I mean, there's wild stuff that we're going to see, and then they're going to have the flag football game, but it's going to be just teams of seven kind of going in rotations or playing different games. What do you make of it? Are you a fan? Do you like this format for the pro bowl? And then as an aside, 
where does Demario Davis fit in? What events is he going to participate in? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I I love the events. I think this is fun. It kind of takes me back to when I was younger watching the Pro Bowl when they had the you know, longest throw competitions and things like that. Like Aaron Brooks, of course, went in and won that competition years ago, former New Orleans Saints quarterback. So I love the those types of like fun competitions. Um, I, I wonder maybe if Demario fits in with the longest drive one. I don't know if he's much of a golfer, sure. but I feel like but I feel like if you if if he gets a hold of one, uh, I don't see it coming down anytime soon. Yeah, maybe the like okay, so the move the chains where you're That's trying to you know pull a, a a wall pull. I don't even know where you get that, but that one a gridiron <laughs> gauntlet, which is a side by side relay race. I want to know how you pick teams for this because it's, it reminds yeah. me of like field day. Like growing yeah. up in elementary yes, school. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, how many kids, how many parents are going home like, hey, you know field day that you had? Well, that's what all these professional athletes are going to do um, for Thursday and Sunday, Pro Bowl weekend. It, it's going to be, I think people they are going to watch. It's going to be intriguing because it's different, right? Change then, it from a Pro Bowl to like a beer Olympics. <laughs> you know, like they have professional cornhole, right? Cornhole yeah. Yes. Like yes. the situation does it. And they literally and do, do know they, that they drink during the cornhole, like actually, yeah. I want to be a part of that league. Honestly, <laughs> I like, love Bago. I start getting better at those games. The more that I, I have to drink. So <laughs> that makes sense. Maybe. I don't know if it works the same for a professional athlete, but for somebody who is uh, completely unathletic, that's you pick up athleticism. It's false. With me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least absolutely <laughs> we have to figure out the uniforms weren't they like highlighters or something in the different seasons they've been weird i think so i yeah. picture like the dodgeball movie you can duck like if you can dodge a oh, wrench you, you dodge can a dodge ball. a ball yeah, yeah. do you want them to actually have those uniforms purple the snakes they were a little short shorts we don't want that <laughs> i can bring out let's bring out the sweatbands but let's not bring out the short shorts all right well we'll, we'll let the league know darren <laughs> you have a request We'll send it over. I appreciate you guys joining me on the podcast. It's great to kind of recap the season. And I'm sure you guys will have a lot of good stories, insight as the offseason continues for the Saints. It's going to be an exciting one, a lot going on, a lot to follow. So I'm sure you guys will have plenty to cover. What (laughs) offseason? It's not our offseason, technically. Right, right. We still have to work. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. Join us three times per week on NewOrleansSaints.com, the Saints mobile app, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you next time right here on the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek.